Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Bob Summers. And our topic today is something that has been constantly in the news, and Bob Summers is bringing us an up-close and personal view of the situation on Maui in the wake of the Lahaina fires. I happen to know Bob Summers through some good fortune of having a relative who lived next door to him, and we struck up an acquaintance, and he's willing to share his experience and his observations with listeners today. Welcome, Bob Summers, to this conversation. Teresa, thanks for having me on your show. It's good to see you again. Thank you. Well, it's good to see you again, too, and I am so sorry for what you must be going through, and I want to get that very to that very quickly, but let's start with where you live in relation to Lahaina, how long you've been on the island and what you do there. Okay, so thank you. So um, we've been here 27, 28 years. Um, Lahaina is in West Maui. We are in South Maui. And as the crow flies, it's maybe 20 minutes from here. So from my back deck, as I look across the ocean, Lahaina is kind of hidden behind um, the West Maui mountains a little bit. Um, so, you know, I have a, a software company that we have here. So I have an opportunity to work out of the home, which is great. I know that your lovely wife is there with you. So tell us about Susan. Well, Susan's doing great. You know, she and I and my son and my daughter-in-law, we all work together. You know, we again have a little software company where we help local businesses around the world uh, build a reputation online. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so everybody's doing well. But I will tell you, there is a wet blanket of sadness that covers this island right now. Uh, it's just unfathomable. Really, I don't use that word very often, but it is unfathomable what happened. There's things that'll, that happen in our lives we just can't even imagine. And this is one of them, by the way. Well, we have been inundated with news from uh, Lahaina on our major newscast here on the mainland, as you would say, constantly. And so we've seen what the devastation looks like. Uh, I'm sure you haven't been there because have. you have. I Ooh. drove through yesterday, not through town, but I went up to Kahanapali yesterday. So I drove around Lahaina to get there. And uh, it was it was unbelievable. And well, tell us about that, because the last I heard is people were being very upset because they couldn't get in to see even their right. property to see right. what was left, if anything. And that's still the case, Teresa, because they don't want you in town. But there's a road that goes around Lahaina, not through Lahaina. So for people that need to get up to um, uh, North Maui, uh, Kanapali and those areas, people like me, we're allowed to drive around and go up there. And you can't help but look down on Lahaina because you're up on a hill and you can see the devastation. And I'll tell you my observation of it. Well, first of all, let me back up. Uh, last week, Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not sure what night it was that those fires flared up. But it happened around, I understand, around five o'clock. And I think Lahaina was, was decimated in less than two hours. I mean, just gone in less than two hours. So as I mentioned, we, we only live 20 miles as the crow flies from Lahaina. So as the sun went down, there were multiple fires on Maui. And we had one we had to deal with as well. So uh, I just got up on the roof looking around. And I could see the Kihei fire, the upcountry fires. And over the mountain, you could see the sky glowing from the Lahaina fire. Now, over the years, we've had fires here every couple of years, little brush fires, but nothing like this. And, and I will tell you, at that time, I had no idea what was going on in Lahaina. 
But at this point in time, when it was evening and I looked over the mountain, we had no idea that Lahaina was gone. Nobody did. The information didn't get to us. So we went to bed that evening and at about 1230, uh, our phones beeped and they said there's an evacuation order for those of you that live in Maui Meadows, South Maui, where, where you've been before. And so we got out and left. Now, keep in mind, I had no idea that something like Lahaina had already happened. Had I known that, um, we would have raced off of this property instead of lallygagging. It was unbelievable that a full six hours had gone by and we did not know here, even on Maui, what had happened in Lahaina. And, and I understand a lot of that had to do with the fact that uh, the phone service was down, uh, electricity eventually went off and all kinds of other things. The next morning, we started hearing about what happened in Lahaina and couldn't believe it. We we're like, no, that's that's not possible. And then we started seeing the pictures thinking, oh, my goodness, th this is this is unbelievable. This fire destroyed this town. It is gone. Now, we're still contending with the South Maui fires and the upcountry fires. And, you know, all of a sudden now we're thinking this could happen anywhere. It could happen anywhere on Maui. So uh, anyway, yesterday I had a chance to drive up through the Lahaina area. Again, not through town. They don't want you there. And I fully understand that. But as I was driving through, here was my observation. Number one, it burned a much bigger area than I would have expected. Uh, right around Lani Poco, which is south of Lahaina, you started seeing the burns. And it was on both sides of the road. And I didn't really realize till later that that fire burned downhill. So it started uphill and blew down towards the ocean. So I didn't realize that. But the burn was much bigger than I thought. When you look at the homes, because you could see them, they were gone. I mean, there's concrete block, but there's nothing there. And my wife brought up a great point when she was showing me these pictures. She said, do you see any appliances in these homes, refrigerators, remnants of a dishwasher? And I did not. And the fire was so hot, those things just disappeared. I, and I was a fireman when I was in college. I never saw anything like that. I never saw a fire burn this hot. Um, and usually house fires could be contained, but this was incredible. The other thing I noticed that, that people aren't really talking about is there were homes here and there uh, amongst the devastation that looked like they weren't touched. And, and there's a million different reasons why they were okay. Maybe they had a bigger green area or whatever. But the people that lost their homes, that's horrible. But these people that kept their homes, you would never want to live in it because you're surrounded by by death and destruction in every in every direction. And you have this little home that's an oasis. It's not much of an oasis. So I don't know what's going to happen to those people either. They were fencing around Lahaina. They don't want gawkers, and I get it. So they're putting up fencing that kind of blocks the view there. They have a lot of work to do in Lahaina. And it went farther north than I expected. It, it just was a much bigger fire than I could have anticipated. So, Bob, I want to interrupt you just for a second to clarify something, because you were talking about you didn't know that Lahaina was destroyed, and you personally got evacuation notices where you are. You said something about lollygagging instead of rushing. We did, Teresa. So again, Lahaina burned at five or six in the evening. I understand, and you know, may, I don't know if I don't know if my neighbors, nobody seemed to know anything. So we went to bed at eight or nine. And then at 1230, our phones went off, you know, with the alert on our phone saying you need to evacuate Maui Meadows, because at the time, I think there were five separate fires going on. Uh, one was in Kihei, where we live, and it was moving towards Maui Meadows. And the issue is 
the winds, the gusts were unbelievable. Now, we didn't so much see them here, but my son in upcountry was telling me that he had 60 and 70 mile an hour winds up there. He'd never seen anything like it. And it's a clear, beautiful day. It's just the winds from the hurricane and the, uh, which was six or 700 miles south of us. And the high pressure system, which was north of this, caused these amazing winds. So yes, we had to evacuate until the next morning when they where gave. Where did you go? Well, uh, we went to upcountry. My wife went to upcountry with my son. Uh, my younger son went to um, McKenna, and I kind of foolishly stayed here just to keep an eye on it because we've been through this before. But as I was mentioning, I was keeping an eye on the house. But um, Teresa, as I mentioned, had we known what had happened in Lahaina, we would have been out of here, all of us. I mean, my wife and son left within 15 minutes, and I just kind of kept track of what was going on. Again, because I've got some experience as a fireman, but I've never seen anything like this. My whole perception, how I'm going to act in the future has completely changed and when I called you, just like, I'm curious what's going on. This is before I had the brilliant idea to ask you to talk to the audience on this show. But I had called you just to say, how are you? And when I called you, there were helicopters above your house at that very time That's carrying right. water. So what was that all about? And how did that end up? Well, they were putting out the fires in Kihei, which were still smoldering, and the fires in Upcountry. So they they had nothing to do with the Lahaina fire. They were dealing with these fires. And and their biggest concern was, and again, nobody thought about this. I don't, Maybe they did. I don't know. But the Lahaina fire, they had 100% under control. That's And, and I, I get that. And there might be a tiny little smoldering that they're like, okay, that's going to burn out or we're not concerned. But when the winds picked up and they provided all the oxygen, a little smoldering needs, all of a sudden that that little smoldering of 100 percent contained fire turned into a raging fire. So uh, and they couldn't fly the helicopters earlier because the winds were so bad, a helicopter couldn't safely fly. So they could not drop water in that matter on Lahaina. And it was a few days later here in Kihei uh, when they finally were able to do that. And I, I don't know, but it seems to me I heard that that upcountry fire, it's still smoldering in places. And this is nine days later. And they they know if those gusts pick up, there could be a problem again. So that's why these helicopters are uh, are dumping water. Did you have a problem with smoke? Here, a small amount. You could smell it. Uh, when I was up on my roof looking, you could see that the fire was over the hill. It was far enough away. I wasn't concerned about it. And the other issue was at 1230 in the morning, there was no gust of wind. There were no breezes. It, it may have been, I don't know this, but my guess is the authorities knew what had happened in Lahaina and they weren't going to take a chance. So it might have been a premature thing to evacuate Maui Meadows at the time when they did. But I don't think they were going to take any risk. They were like, no, we're not going to, this isn't going to happen again. But again, we knew nothing about Lahaina. And I say we, I mean my family. I don't know if the other neighbors did or not, but I knew nothing about it. My guest today is Bob Summers. I'm talking to him from his home in Kihei on Maui, which is also known as Maui Meadows. Am I getting that right, Bob? Well, Maui Meadows is a neighborhood in Kihei, Teresa. It's up on okay. the side of the mountain. How has your daily life changed? What What's different now in the wake of that fire on Lahaina? Yeah, Teresa, it's, it's very different now because 
all the things that could have gone wrong in Lahaina went wrong. You know, first of all, as I was mentioning, there feels like there's a wet blanket over the whole island. People are devastated. And I, I came to realize, you know, you as a storyteller, you know this better than anybody. It's not about the big picture. It's about each individual story that you hear that is heartbreaking. And you can't go an hour without hearing another heartbreaking story from somebody who's a friend or a friend of a friend. And some of the stories I have heard will just, they'll just break your heart. They'll, they're just unbelievable. And um, I think the thing that disturbs me the most right now is I don't think the news is giving you the whole story, not by a long shot. When they say 100 people have died or 111, and, and I don't know, Teresa, do you know what the news on the mainland is saying today, the number of people that have passed away? Do you know I where I think it, is? it was saying 127, but to the point where I think you're going, they're also making it clear that they can't discover the bodies because they're ash and that there are like a thousand people missing. Yeah, that's that's the thing that is terrifying. Not only are there a thousand people missing. Now, this is missing after 10 days on an island. How is it possible a thousand people could be missing on an island after 10 days if something nefarious did not happen to them? Um, and the, the saddest thing of all, Teresa, about this is how many of those people were children that were home, maybe when their parents were at work or were at home with their parents? Um, you know, it's got to be in the hundreds. My, my grandson uh, started first grade in upcountry uh, Kula area uh, last Wednesday, and they wear little blue shirts. That's the color for the Pukulani kids. And uh, on the first day of school, my son said he noticed a lot of kids with little yellow shirts on. And I understand those are the children from the Lahaina school that... Um, because no, there's no school there. There's no right. grade school there any longer. So they're sent all over the island and they're wearing their little colored shirts. And when I think about those poor children, what they went through and some of their friends aren't ever going to go to school and they don't know where they are. They just, it just, it's just horrible. So there's, life is different. You know, I mean, we, we, we do a little test now. Where's every single fire extinguisher in the house? Okay, if there's a fire, where are we going? If the road is blocked, what's our alternative? Um, you know, if we need to take stuff with us, where is it so that we get quick access to it? And I think, you know, you, you think of a, a fire as it's, it's, a, it's a big deal, and it is a big deal. But when you see fire with wind or fire with an explosion or things you, you, you have, instead of having 10 minutes, you have 30 seconds to make a decision. And that's the message I would give everybody based on what I'm seeing here. Um, whatever time frame you gave yourself to evacuate for a fire or whatever it is, cut that in half because you never know uh, what circumstances are going to surround you having to leave your home, knowing where your kids are, where they're safe, where you're going to meet up. You know, we just take those things for granted. We forget about it. Years go by. We don't talk about it. But I'll tell you what, everybody's talking about it now. Well, there's a lesson in there for everybody because everybody. disasters can, we had a tornado come through here, no, never a tornado and it wiped out people, just people weren't prepared for that kind of thing. Yeah. So it sounds to me like that you didn't have personal friends that you knew who were affected or did you? Oh yeah, we did. Not that, not that died. Nobody I know is missing. Uh, but I've heard stories from my friends that escaped the fire 
And um, I'll share a couple with you. They're pretty terrifying. Um, one of them was um, a woman named Sananda. Um, she was at home, five o'clock. She smelled smoke. She looked out the window and saw a fire approaching. She knew she needed to get out of there. She grabbed her purse, um, didn't have her phone, grabbed something, ran up and down the halls, knocking on the doors in an apartment complex, telling people to get out of there. She ran outside, and as she was outside, now she noticed fire on both sides of her because the wind was blowing at 60, 70 miles an hour. And it's hard to imagine. So you're running from the flame, and then the flame leapfrogs ahead of you. So now you're in the midst of this fire. You I never comprehend that would happen. And this is not a forest fire. There's no big trees going up on fire. This is These are homes that are 100 years old. So the wood is super dry and the wind is blowing. So the wind, she said, she was dodging these flaming boards that were going past her. She got in her car and drove out of there. And she said, when she looked back, she said she saw some of the people in the apartment complex who she was screaming to get out of there, just gawking, looking at what's going on. And they found out later that the neighbors to the right and the neighbors to their left both perished in that fire. She said, had she not left when she did, uh, she wouldn't be here either. So, and, and this is, you're hearing this all over the place. We have another friend that has a friend that uh, runs a tow truck company. And he said that when he was moving the cars after the fire off the road, that he had seen at least a hundred bodies in those cars that had been just burned. And, and you think, how could people stay in their car when there's a fire? Well, based on the stories you hear, you can understand why, because all of a sudden you're surrounded by flame and you think, okay, the safest place is in this car. Uh, the people that got out of their cars and jumped in the ocean, and I've heard stories about this as well. You know, first of all, you, you've got to get far enough out in the water where the smoke isn't settling. And and uh, and so people get out in the water and some of them died of smoke inhalation because they weren't far enough out or they went out far further and they couldn't swim or it just it just everything that could go wrong went wrong. The story with the water. I, oh, my gosh. Fire hydrants are dry. Uh, the siren didn't go off. Uh, the electricity they needed to have the electricity on so the water pumps would work and there was no water. It's just, it's just a, I don't know. I mean, any one of these things could have caused this catastrophe, but the fact that all of these things happen simultaneously, you know, you have to stop and say, okay, what are we going to do in our neighborhood? I don't mean just we here in Maui Meadows. I mean, everyone all over the world. What are we going to do in the event this happens? You know, we, we have to prepare for these things. We have to know exactly what we're going to do. And we have to do it in half the time that we think we can do it in. Because, you know, I mean, Lahaina is a great example of just what could happen. It's just horrible. And, and to think, Teresa, that there potentially could be a thousand people, a thousand souls that died in this fire. That's, that's where the unfathomable part comes. How is that possible? Well, when you, and then when you drive through that area and you see that everything is ash, you know, you hear the people saying it's just ash. It literally is ash. Um, there's concrete block and ash. Uh, there's, I, I don't know, I, I'll how stop right they, there, but it's pretty how terrifying. How can they identify bodies when the bodies are ash? Um, 
I think that's the problem. They're they're asking relatives to give DNA samples. There was a story I heard the day before yesterday where a, a, a family, a mother and a father, they have a 15-year-old son. The mom and dad left at like three o'clock. The fire was over. They heard there was a fire in Lahaina. Their 15-year-old was still at home. They couldn't get back into Lahaina. When they did get back, they just found his bones. That's it. And I, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I've had other people say that the people that go through these apartment buildings in Lahaina, that one of the places they're finding a lot of these bodies are in their bed, that, you know, the smoke inhalation killed them before they ever had time to even get out of bed. I don't know. I, I think like with the World Trade Center as well, I don't know if they were able to identify everybody. I don't see how you could from, uh, you know, from identification, right? You just have to say there's 2,000 people that we can't account for. So there's 2,000 people that passed away in, in, in the World Trade Center thing. And, and I think eventually when they can actually identify the people who are unaccounted for, and I don't know how long that's going to take, that will give the world a much better idea of just how many people perished in this fire. And um, it's certainly not 129 and I, I don't know if there is even a government site at this point. I know when uh, there was a, an individual, I don't know who it was, that created a Google Doc that so if somebody was missing, you could put their name on there. I would think that would be one of the single most important things now to do is to get an up-to-date, legitimate list of who's missing, who needs to be identified when we find them, how can we find them, and call this list and, and hopefully find everyone and if not, at least know that they're missing. Bob, you have certainly brought this home to us, a lot of the pain and agony and horror. I'm wondering, where does Maui go from here? I saw a headline that said something about water fights are an issue on Maui. Water's an issue everywhere. Where's yeah. the island going to go? What's what's going to come of this? Um, well, the, the issue with the water, Teresa, is... It feels to me, just after being here as long as I've had, that there's plenty of water on Maui. I know the West Maui Mountains, as I understand, is the second wettest spot on Earth. They get an average of one inch of rain a day, 365 inches of rain a year. Now, it's a small area, and Haleakala gets a lot of water. When the sugarcane was here, it used a lot of water. So the sugarcane isn't here anymore. So they're trying to divert that water back into the streams because, you know, it's like the way it was 150 years ago. And the taro farmers, they want to give the water to the taro farmers. And I kind of get it because they couldn't do that anymore. But when there's a raging fire or the opportunity of fire in a community with thousands of people, and you're going to, Sermon, you're going to give water to a tarot farmer during something like this. And I don't know the whole story behind that. But the fact they diverted the water in the absolute worst possible direction they could, this is something else they're going to have to live with and, and determine what they're going to do. Water's a big deal on an island. You know, if you don't have water, you've got nothing. And Lahaina of itself is a relatively dry part of the island. It's a deserty side, just like Kihei is. You know, water issues are issues everywhere. In the southwest United States, what they do with the Colorado River, 
every island has an issue. So I, I don't know. It's something I'm going to be keeping a close eye on, however. Well, we'll try to uh, pay attention. I'm sure we're going to all be more riveted to those issues as a result of this. But we have a couple of minutes left. And I just will say personally that when I visited my uncle, when he was still alive on that island, and we would always go to Lahaina, and what a beautiful, beautiful little place, and yeah. that banyan tree. But I just wonder if you would kind of wrap us up with a description of, besides being a great tourist attraction, what was Lahaina like? Uh, so on Maui, um, you know, as an island, there's different communities, and each community has its own flavor. So there's, you know, Kihei on South Maui, known for its beaches. There's upcountry, which is beautiful. It's cooler, sunny. It's wonderful. There's central Maui. And then, of course, there's West Maui. And Lahaina was the capital of Hawaii. That's where King Kamehameha had his capital after he uh, unified, which is an interesting word, all the islands. It's kind of a holy place. It's more of a, a reverent place. And there's a lot of history in Lahaina. Some of those buildings are, they have to be the oldest buildings or were uh, in Hawaii, I would have to guess. It was an interesting mix of uh, locals, um, interesting mix of um, uh, where visitors would go to Front Street, restaurants, uh, magic shows, shops, jewelry stores, um, little older hotels, it was very quaint. I think quaint is a good word to look at it. Um, where you live, it would be the equivalent of maybe like a Gatlinburg to some extent. Oh, the trees. mountains and the beauty, yes, the yeah. Smoky Mountains. But yeah. you're talking about a concentrated commerce on steroids. Lahaina was what you say, charming and sweet. There were 2 million visitors a year that went to Lahaina, 2 million a year. Now, I know people are going to continue coming to Maui. They'll go to different parts of Maui. And, you know, Maui in and of itself is a spectacular place. But Lahaina was special. It was um, it was just special. I mean, um, everybody was familiar with it. We, we first moved here. We went to Lahaina every week. And, you know, and, and now we, we will go to it every month. You know, it's, it's a nice drive. It's beautiful. It was just so quaint. It was just such an interesting town that really, I guess you couldn't duplicate anywhere else. You know, always weather was always wonderful, always sunny, always just beautiful. The people were great. I don't know what they're gonna. I don't know what they're gonna do. I. It's interesting listening to the conversations that the governor is having about what they want to do with the land, and I. I think that's contrary to what the people that own the land want to do. And it's a conversation for later because you know, just just the overwhelming death numbers. They're just shocking. And everybody knows somebody that either died or barely escaped that fire. And um, I don't know how long it's going to be, Teresa, until, you know, the people that live here get back to any form of normalcy. I don't think for visitors, it's going to be, other than, you know, Lahaina's not there, there's still spectacular places to see on Maui, the waterfalls, Hana, all the rest. To my way of thinking, Lahaina was in a completely different category as a global treasure, was known and loved by people all around the world. I uh, can't fully understand the loss in the way that you can, but I want to thank you for sharing your stories about Lahaina and your experience. Thank you so much. Thanks, Teresa. My guest today has been Bob Summers. 
He lives on Maui in the town of Kihei in Maui Meadows and felt the smoke and saw the fires, was lucky to escape, and is living in the wake of the great tragedy on Lahaina. Thanks again to Bob. Thanks to the listeners for tuning in. You're listening to this conversation on WEHC and WISE. You can hear us on Wednesdays at 6 and Sundays at 2. You can find recordings of our shows on our podcast site. Just search for WEHC This Conversation. Thanks again for listening and please stay tuned.